All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. I want to thank our sheer sponsors. I thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Av, Maxim Rendelopkovsky, in honor of Yitzchak Meir's upcoming bar mitzvah, Dr. Riva Mitzner, in commemoration of the first yard site of her father, Dr. Larry Schenk, Aryeh Ben Chaim, Jack Bennett, in memory of Sergeant Omer Taviv, who was killed on the Gaza border on May 12, 2021. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. We also thank our Week of Learning sponsor, Shmuel and Shira Artman, in honor of the birth of a baby girl to Jesse and to Rivka Meyerovitz. But with that, let us begin a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Choftes 29, and we are picking up Emir Hashem at the Mishnah on Choftes Amad Beis 28b. So the Mishnah said as follows: Koshivas Hayamim. It's a very, very beautiful Mishnah. Koshivas Hayamim, Adam Osesukaso Keva Ubeso Arai. The, here is the guiding light principle for Sokis. What happens over the Amtav of Sokis? For seven days, a person makes his sukkah, his fixed dwelling, and his home, his temporary dwelling. Again, there will say, now that, we've seen this principle many times before, and this becomes the overwhelming guiding light principle for all of Sokis. What's the essence of Sokis? Sokis is you transplant the activities of daily living from your home into the sukkah. How do you know what you have to do in your sukkah? Whatever would be part of your normal everyday life is exactly what you would transplant into the sukkah. The, during the year, my home is my diras kava. On sukkahs, my sukkah becomes my diras kava. My home is still there, but my home has the status of my diras arai. Yardu Gishan, so we'll say, here's what's interesting. What happens if you're in the sukkah and it rains? Sukkah and it rains. Me'imasai mutar lifnos. When is one permitted to go ahead and leave the sukkah? So this is interesting. So we'll say, what I want to, well, okay. So literally translated, when mikveh is like a porridge, right? When, you're, when your porridge goes bad, when there's so much rain that it ruins my food, that's when I'm permitted to go ahead and leave the sukkah. So we'll say, this is actually very interesting because rain, we've learned about before the concept of nitzdair. Right? If one is in a state of discomfort, the ability to leave the sukkah. What we established when we spoke about mitztair is that to a very large degree, mitztair is, is subjective. Right? It's subjective, meaning what, what makes you uncomfortable. I might be very sensitive to heat. So therefore, you know, uh, it's 80 degrees for me. It's too hot. So technically speaking, I can go inside. It's interesting over here that when it comes to rain, when it comes to rain, rain does not have a subjective shear. In other words, why don't you say if it rains, well, if it bothers you, you can't deal with it, and you go inside. No, when it comes to rain, there's an objective shear. And the objective shear is if it's enough rain to ruin your food. Mashalo, mashalo, mashalo. The Gemara says, I'm sorry. To what can this be compared? To give a mushal to this, or is the mushal that the Gemara is dealing with over here is, what is the mushal like? What is it like when it rains on Sukkis? What, did that, what could that be compared to? So Gimara says, It can be compared to an evet, to a servant, who came to pour a cup of wine for his master. And ultimately, again, the master pours the pitcher in his face. So we'll discuss this mushal in just a little bit, but the idea, the idea that the Mishnah is highlighting is Gishamim Simen Klala 
that ultimately, again, the presence of rain, the presence of rain is considered to be a sign of divine displeasure on Sukkis. And I will say now, I, I think it's very interesting, I saw that uh, there's a beautiful Svasemes. The Svasemes says that Dafka, Dafka, when it rains in the beginning of Sukkis. This is not a din ultimately in all of Sukkis. It's a din specifically on the first night of Sukkis. How does he, where does he see that from? Because if you look at the Lashon of the Mishnah, the Mishnah is, Mashlam Adar of Eved Sheba. It's referring to the Eved first showing up. So the Svas Emes, the Imre Emes, all highlight the same idea, that Kishamim is only a Semen Klala. It's only considered to be a sign of divine displeasure when it's at the beginning of Yantav. And of course, the Svara also makes sense. Why? Because we've spoken about Gezei Shava Tesvav. Tesvav tells me that the only time there's Mitzvah Doraisa to sit in the Sukkah is when? Is when first night. First night. Okay. So let's say, so we'll, we'll talk about that mashla a little bit more, Amir Hashem. Says the Gimar. Turn around, let's analyze. For all seven days, a person makes his sukkah, his fixed dwelling, and his home is temporary dwelling. So how exactly does this manifest itself? So person has nice utensils. What do you do with your nice utensils? You bring your nice utensils into the sukkah. Matzos knows, matzos are literally like covers or linens. You have nice linens, so you bring them into the sukkah. You eat, you drink, you spend your time in the sukkah. So, from where do I know this? Well, it's actually very interesting because sometimes, right, the, the way, it often, way you often think about it is because the sukkah is the hut, so we don't think about bringing nice utensils into the sukkah, right? Or nice things into the sukkah. It's outdoors, it might rain. The Mishnah says, no, there's dafka in Indian to bring your nice utensils into the sukkah in order to show that the sukkah is my diras keva. My sukkah is now my, my permanent dwelling, not my temporary one. The Gemara says, where do I know this? How do I know that there's a mitzvah to make my sukkah into my diras keva, the turn around on teishvu kein taduru, because we'll say the pasuk says teishvu. The pasuk says basukos teishvu. So the fact that it says teishvu chazal darishin, what does it mean teishvu? Sit in it the way you would live in it. Canaris that make the sukkah your dira. So whatever are the fixtures of your regular sukkah, or say whatever are the fixtures of your regular home. Bring those into the sukkah as well. Mikan Amru, from here they learn again, Bryce just restates it. A person makes his sukkah, his permanent dwelling, his home is temporary dwelling. Again, Ketzad, what's an example of this? If a person had nice utensils, you bring them into the sukkah. Nice linens, tablecloths, other linens, bring them into the sukkah. You should eat. You should drink. Metayel literally means to walk around. But of course, in this context, like, I guess if a person has a very large sukkah, I mean walking around. But the Maish Letal just means you spend time in your sukkah. Spend time in the sukkah. Oh, so listen to this, Say Now, the Mishnah says, in addition to this, you should also go ahead and learn in the sukkah. Now, look at Rashi for just a moment. It's in the wide lines on the bottom, the third, the third line, down from the beginning of the wide lines. Mishani b'sukkah, sover limudo umechatcha alborov laamod dahinu shmaisa da amoroi 
you could do Chumash, and you could do Mishnah, or whatever, we'll call it Tanakh and Mishnah, in the Sukkah. Tanuye, u Tanuye, bar minital lasa. But when it comes to, now Tanuye literally means like Gimara. When it comes to analysis of a topic, analysis of a topic ultimately again could be done outside of the Sukkah. So we'll say this is actually very interesting. So what the Gemara here says, Rava says, is things that don't really require an incredible amount of, of concentration you can do inside the sukkah. So Tanakh, Mishnah, pretty straightforward, you can do that inside of the Mishnah. Anything that requires a deeper analysis, you should do outside, you, you, not you should, you can do outside of the sukkah. And I will say, here's what's really fascinating. Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Bar Metalusa. So again, Tanuye, Rashi says, is a Shas, Bar Metalusa. Listen to this. So Rav says to try to concentrate on a, com- on a complex piece of Gemara or on a complex piece of learning in the Sukkah is very difficult. Because it's difficult, it's mitzta'er. Because it's mitzta'er, I'm potter from the Sukkah. Now here's what's interesting. Rashi says, I, I always thought, I don't know why I guess I never paid attention to this Rashi. I always thought that what Rav was saying is, therefore you could go ahead and go into the base Medrash. Or you can go into your home, right? And go ahead and learn there. But in fact, Rashi says, So let's listen to this. So sometimes Rashi says, if you have to concentrate on something, actually the best place to concentrate is under the open sky. Is outside. Is outside. Which is interesting, because I think very often, actually, when you're outside, sometimes it feels like there's so many more distractions. Than anything else, but Rashi says sometimes when you need expansiveness of mind, you need being outdoors. Being outdoors is much more conducive. As you say, see this again in, in Hasidus, where there was such a, a such an emphasis on his bodidus, on being alone with oneself. Often that time alone with oneself was spent outdoors, right underneath the sky, underneath the expansiveness of the world. So the point over here is you see it, but the svar is, is, is fascinating. You see over here then not all learning has to be done in the sukkah. Simple things which don't require too much concentration should be done in the sukkah. Anything which requires greater concentration, greater analysis, can be done outside of the sukkah. So we have a contradiction to which the Gemara Lokasha, Haba Migras, Haba Yune. Everything depends on how you're learning. Rashi says, Haba Migras, Kilomar Trey Gavni Shinon, Haba Migras, Kimara Haberura Lokvar, Fainu Shmaisa, Tsarach Sukkah, Behainu Mishanin, Liyunibar Mthasa. Depends. So we'll say if you're reviewing a piece of Gemara that you already know, or it's a Gemara that's a little bit more straightforward, do that in the Sukkah. But if it's a piece of Torah which requires a bit more analysis, that can be done outside of the Sukkah. And both say this is very important because this actually is quite fascinating because we know that, for example, we still learn in the base Medrash on Sukkis also, right? It's not, it's not like we go ahead and we move all, because it depends. Everything depends is whether or not I could concentrate on the particular limud in the sukkah or not. Of course, if I could concentrate, best to be in the sukkah. But just again, fascinatingly enough, if I can't concentrate, first of all, listen to this, the inability to concentrate 
And to really chap a piece of Torah, that's mitzta'er. That's painful, right? That's uncomfortable. If it's mitzta'er, I'm potter from sukkah, and I can then go to learn wherever it is that that learning will best be accomplished. If it's outdoors, it's outdoors. If it's my house, if it's base medrash, wherever it's going to be. Incredible. What's that type of chavtes? Kiha, kiha de rava. The, in the Hagos, it changes this to rava and rami bar chama. Kiha vukaimi mikamei rav chista. When they would be when they would be learning before rav chista. Mirahati bigimara bahadi adadi. This is very interesting. So Rava and Rami Bar Chama had a very interesting, a very interesting approach to their learning. What they would do is when they were in Shir, when they were in Shir, when they were learning before of Chista, the first thing they would do is they would run through the Gemara. And what does it mean to run through the Gemara? What it means is, Rashi says, The first thing they would do is, they would say, okay, let's just review what Rav Chista said. In other words, let's get down facts. Let's get down facts. Did they understand the facts? Not yet. But first step is, let's get the information. After they got the information, then they went back again and analyzed it to try to understand the svaras, the, you know, the intellectual underpinnings of it, which happens to be, if we think about it, a fascinating approach, and a fascinating approach to learning, right? That, that sometimes the idea is get your information first, even if you don't fully have why things are such, but get the information down clear, get it clear, and then afterwards go back and learn. So the Gemara is just illustrating this to show that there are different forms of learning, right? There's kind of like, a, there's a more panoramic view of learning where you're not necessarily engaging in svara, just clarification of facts, and then there's the engagement. So I will say, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman had a very interesting approach to a very interesting Darach Halimud. The Rebbe said, he said, you know, in the, in the non-Hasidic circles, he said, you know, in the people could get in the more Litvish circles, people could get stuck on a piece of Gemara for, for weeks, for weeks. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe felt that was, not, that was not the right approach to learning. He felt the right approach to learning was learn the sugya, try to understand it. If you can't understand it, do the best that you can and then move on, and then move on. Do you know what the Rebbe said? The Rebbe said, don't worry, you'll understand it the next time you go through Shas. <laughs> that, was, that was the Rebbe's svara. That, right, that there's, now, the truth is it works well for Dafiomi, but it, 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 it's, it's an interesting, again, I'm just pointing out in the, in the world of learning, there are many different approaches ultimately to how to tackle a particular sugya. But it's always, so again, the idea being there's more, I'll call it like a more superficial learning, which doesn't require as much concentration. That's for the sukkah. Things that require more concentration, if you could do it on the sukkah, great. But if you can't, you have a license to go ahead and move elsewhere. So the Gemara goes right to Amarava. But say, so back to what has to come into the sukkah, what can't come into the sukkah. Mani mishasya, cups. Cups or glasses, right? Drinking glasses, rashes, kosos. Right, b'metalalasa should come into the sukkah. Mani michla. Now, this is very interesting. Mani michla means plates after you have eaten. Bar mimtalasa, dirty dishes. I was about to say, dirty dishes should not remain in the sukkah. Very, very important. You sewed. So we're gonna we're gonna build on this a little bit. So cups. So apparently, you know, glasses even after they're used do not become something that that you know is is a bit repulsive. But dishes after they've been used, you don't keep them in the sukkah. And, and again, I will say, it's not a chiddish, think about this. No one keeps a pile of dirty dishes on their dining room table. 
Right? What do you do? You clear the table. It's not good to be clear the table. You don't keep the dirty dishes there. So in the sukkah, don't keep the dirty dishes in the table. The Gemara goes right there. Chatzba b'shochil ban metalosa. So chatzba, Rashi says over here, is a is an earthenware is an earthenware vessel or an earthenware jug that they used to draw water. Shachil, Rashi says, is a bucket of wood or a wood bucket. Right. So these things ultimately, again, bar should ultimately be kept outside of the sukkah. Sirebo said these were called more like you know general service utensils. So general service utensils should not come into the sukkah. Shraga mitalasa. The shraga literally means an shal charis, Rashi says, is an earthenware lamp. An earthenware lamp ultimately could be in a sukkah. Some say you should only keep the earthenware lamp outside of the sukkah. It's not a contradiction. One is a large sukkah, one is a small sukkah. In the large sukkah, so although the light of the earthenware lamp is discernible, the lamp itself is often not discernible. In a smaller sukkah, the utensil is more visible. And also, we've seen this before. Earthenware lamps tend to get disgusting from the oil over time. So in a small sukkah, you wouldn't want to keep it there. In a large sukkah, you wouldn't want to keep it there. But say, so again, the common denominator is that you don't keep unseemly utensils inside of the sukkah. This is incredibly important because you know where this comes up is you can't bring a garbage can into the sukkah. Can't bring a garbage can into the sukkah. Very important halacha that, that sometimes we, we forget because, you know, we're outdoors, so we don't think about it. But you would not bring your garbage can into the sukkah. Why not? Because no one brings their garbage can into their dining room, right? You don't go ahead and say, you know, you're in the middle of a suda, you bring a garbage can into the dining room and start dumping things into the garbage can. You take it out because it's not pakavadik to have a garbage can into, you know, in the dining room. So again, in the sukkah also, keep the garbage can outside of the sukkah, bring the garbage outside, but not into the sukkah. Same thing again with pots. With pots, Shukhanar brings down, you can't bring pots into the sukkah. In other words, well, let me say it differently. When I say you can't bring pots, in other words, if let's say you have, you know, people have, um, I don't know what the technical term is, it, you know, like the type of serving pieces where you could cook in it and serve in it, right? So, so, so that, that you can because you would bring that to your table. Essentially, whatever you would bring to your table, you could bring into your sukkah. But again, you know, sometimes because, yeah, especially if sukkah is cold, the person wants to bring the pot of soup into the sukkah, throw it out of the pot, you can't do that in the sukkah. Anything you wouldn't do in your dining room, you don't do in your sukkah. No garbage cans, no what we'll call, you know, cooking utensils, no piles of dirty dishes. Treat the sukkah like you would your home. Incredible. Well, say, yard So remember again, the Mishnah said that if it rained on sukkah, the Mishnah gives the mashal. The Mishnah gives the mashal to the servant, who came to pour a glass of, of wine for his master. And what happens? And the master poured, poured out the jug in front of him. So the Yardu Gishamim. So Gemara says, I'm sorry, sorry, not yet. We're not up to the mashal. Sorry, if it, if it rained, if it rained, you're allowed to go into the, you're allowed to go into the home. You can leave the sukkah, go into the home. And the Gemara says, I, at what point in time is enough, but when, when is it enough rain that you could call it a day and go into the house? Ultimately, again, when your, when your soup would get ruined, when your food would get ruined, now again, as I mentioned, the Mishnah, mikvah literally means a porridge. A porridge, grisin, are beans, lentils, or split beans. So, Rashi points out over here that this is the type of food that is easily ruined. That is easily ruined. In other words, 
you don't need a lot of rain in order to go ahead and go into the house. It's at the point in time when your food would become ruined, that's when you're permitted to go ahead and, and leave. Abaye, so listen to this. Abaye was sitting before Rav Yosef in the sukkah. The wind began to blow. And interestingly enough, there were like pieces of schach. Literally, tzivusa is literally splinters. Kirash says, There are pieces of schach that started falling into that started falling into the food. So Amrulu Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, Rav Yosef said, Pack up my stuff. I'm going back into my house. Going back into my house. Amrly Abay Abay says, "Really? That you're going into your house?" I but we learned in the Mishnah that the only time you're allowed to go into the house is rain, and only enough rain if it ruins your food. Amrly Lididi Kevan Daanina Datoi Kimisha Tisracha Mikvadami. Me, I am a fastidious person, an istinis. Right, because I'm a fastidious person, therefore, again, for me, the little pieces of schach falling off, it's like rainfall. Now, we'll say, we spoke about this before. I mentioned this just before in Mishnah. That remember, this is the din of mitzta'er. And the din of mitzta'er is absolutely subjective. Absolutely subjective. So Rav Yosef is saying, listen, for me, schach falling down into my food is very disturbing. I, I, can't, I can't deal with this. So for me, this is mitzta'er. For me, this is the equivalent of rainfall that would ruin my food. And therefore, I'm permitted to go inside the house. Ten Rabbanam. Hayo ocha b'sukkah v'yardu gishamim. It's a very interesting halacha. Hayo ocha b'sukkah v'yardu gishamim v'yarat. Let's say you're sitting in your sukkah. It began to rain. And now you left the sukkah. The Lashon of Yarad means you're going down. means you're going out of the sukkah. This is a very Lemaise case. Right? I'm sitting in my sukkah. It begins to rain. I leave the sukkah. I go back into the house. And then what happens? By the time I get settled, right? And I start to eat something. What happens? The sun is out. The birds are chirping. It's beautiful. Gemara says, once you leave the sukkah, there is no obligation to go back until you finish the meal. In other words, you could finish it out in the house once you moved everything. Same idea. If you were sleeping in your sukkah, the yard do gishamim, and it began to rain. The yard, and therefore you left your sukkah. This is very interesting. You are not obligated to go back. We don't, we don't push him to go back into the sukkah. Ad sheyeor. Now both say the Gemara says like this: Ibay lehu ad sheyor ad sheyor or ad sheyor. Now both say if you notice again, it's the same word. Just one is with an ayin, one is with an aleph, but they mean very different things. Ad sheyor with an ayin means until you wake up. Ad sheyor with an aleph is until it becomes light outside. So the Gemara is asking: So what are we saying? If I'm sleeping in my sukkah, it began to rain. I moved inside my home. So the Gimara says, we don't, we don't, you don't have to go back. Does year with an Aleph mean that again, I could sleep in my house until I wake up, whatever time I wake up, and then I'm obligated to go back into the sukkah, or with an S with an Ayin, or Achir with an Aleph, that you can sleep inside your house until when? Until daybreak. Until daybreak. But once daybreak comes, you have to go back into the sukkah. So Tashma, Ad Sheyeyar Viyala. So, Viyala Modashachar. So, another Bryce says, Ad Sheyeyar, or until it becomes light. 
and Amud Hashachar. Alos Hashachar. Right? Dawn. Now, both say, now, those are two different times. Those are two different times, right? Dawn, what we call Alos, is even before it becomes light outside. So, Tarti, so, how do you reconcile two different time frames? Ela'ima ad sheyeor v'ya'ala Amud Hashachar. Rather, Rabbi what it means is that says, and this indeed is the halacha l'maysa, that if you were sleeping in your sukkah, and then left your sukkah because it was raining, and you went back to sleep inside, you are not obligated to go into the sukkah until one of two, until two things happen. Until you wake up, and it's past daybreak. Which means, if you were to wake up, and it's still nighttime, you don't have to go back into the sukkah, even if the rain stopped. Or again, if you're sleeping past daybreak, there's no obligation to wake the person up so he can go back into the sukkah. And that is the halacha l'maysa. So what, to what can this be compared if it rains on Sukkot? Remember again, the Mishnah said, like a servant who came to pour his master a glass of, oh, I'm calling it wine, the Mishnah doesn't say wine, but he came to pour his master a glass of wine, and the master went ahead and poured out the jug. The Shafak Lokito Napanov poured out the jug on his face. So the Gemara says, Ibailahu, mi Shafak Lemi. Who poured out for who? She always said, I translated it as who poured out for who, but the Gemara, so when you look at the Mishnah, it's not clear who's doing the pouring. Right? It says, And he poured the jug on his. Who poured? Who poured, who poured the wine out? So the Gemara says, Tashma, the Sanya, Shafach lo rabo kiton apanov. Right? It means that the master poured out the jug. Alpanov, Alpanov could mean, you know, in front of him, in front of Amr and he says to him, I do not want your service. Now, I'll say, I'll tell you something interesting. You know, this Gemara, this Mishnah, always bothered me tremendously, tremendously. Because what, even like theologically, what, what, do you, what do you do with that? Right? The idea that on, this, on Sukkis, if rains, even if we go to Sasamis, this is the dinner on the first night. Not necessarily a din in the rest of Sukkis. But how do, you, how do you reconcile this? You know, Yiddishkeit is all about, is all about optimism. And, you know, we come into Sukkis after Yamim Noraim, confident that we've been forgiven, confident that we've been absolved, confident that it's a new slate. And here you're telling me that if it rains on the first night of Sukkis, and I will say, I want to point out also, remember, Sukkis is also the beginning of what? The rainy season. Hey, so, so like there's a little bit of a catch-20. It's true. We, start, we wait to start saying Mashurach Gashem until the end of the Yom Div, But technically speaking, you should begin at the beginning of Sukkis. Mishnah Tainas. You should begin at the beginning of Sukkis. So, so what do you do with this? So I, I, I saw, quoted in the name of the Baal Shem Tev, a, a long time ago, but I haven't been able to track it down since then. But I saw, quoted in the name of the Baal Shem Tev, he, he gives a different approach to this. He says, when it rains on Sukkis, to what could this be compared? Listen to the way he reads the Mishnah. He says, It's compared to an Eved who wants to pour a cup for his master. So the Eved, why does the Eved want to pour a cup for his master? Because he wants to demonstrate his fidelity, his servitude to his master. And what does the master do? V'shafach lo kiton alpanov. Alpanov doesn't have to mean on his face. Alpanov means in front of him. Why does the master pour out the pitcher? Says the Baal Shalom the master pours out the pitcher because he's telling the servant, I don't need you to serve me. Come be with me. I don't need your servitude. I want your companionship. 
I don't need you to serve me as an Eved. See, he pours out the cup. You're not my servant. You're not my servant. Let's spend time together, not as equals, not as equals, because the master and the servant aren't equals, but let's spend time together in a state of companionship, in a state of togetherness. Because says the Vashant, what's Sukkis? What's Sukkis? Here, I just had Yomim Noraim, and Yomim Noraim is so much, is so overwhelming. And Yomim Noraim is all about, again, Melech, Melech HaKadosh. Everything is the Malchus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I make it through Yomim Noraim, and I establish a new level of, of companionship and spiritual intimacy with Rebona Sha'olam to the point that HaKadosh Baruch Hu invites me to leave my home and to enter into his home. The Sukkah, like we said, the Sukkah, the Zohar says, the Sukkah, the Sukkah is the Tzel de Hemenusa, it's the shadow, it's the shade of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Hashem invites me in, invites me in, ultimately again to go out and be with him. And sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that the relationship is so good, that the relationship is so beautiful, I don't even need you to leave the confines of your home to go ahead and be with me. We can be together in the comfort of your home as well. Mashallah it can be compared to a servant who wanted to show that he's the servant of the master, but the master loves the servant so much that he doesn't want him to exhibit servitude. So what does he do? Shafach lokiton aponav, he pours out the jug, don't serve me, don't serve me, just be with me. So Pashant of Akadish understands the polar opposite, right? So the Gimara, the Mishnah, framing rain on the first night of Yom Tiv as the most intense display of divine displeasure. I don't want your service. And the Baal of saying just the opposite. An incredible display of divine companionship, divine love, a willingness and a want of HaKadosh Baruch Hu not to deal with us as servants and a master, but as two entities who just want to spend time and want to be with one another. Incredible. The Gemara goes back to Tan Rabban, I'll both say first wide line. Now, just to understand the, the, the connection between the next sugis, Rashi points out, once we spoke about kind of like omens, Right, or or th- things that things that that well call call it omens. Even though again we don't really believe in omens, right? We have to be very careful with this. So once we started speaking about omens, the Gemara is going to speak about some other omens as well. So the Gemara says, when the sun is stricken, siminra lechala olam. Ultimately, again, this is a bad sign for the entire world. For the entire world. So again, this, this is when, this is when, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, So the idea is that when the sun doesn't look its normal way, that's called the sun is stricken, ultimately again, that is a simon, that is a sign that difficulties are going to come to the world. Why? What, what, what can this be compared to? It can be compared to a king who made a who made a suuda for his servants, Vieniach Panas, and he went there and he put a lantern by the sukkah. I'm sorry, by, by the suda to give light. What happened? Kaasaleim. As soon as the king gets angry at the people who are invited to the suda, tal panas mipnehem Remove the remove the lantern and let them sit in darkness. So, so too, again, when, I, when the sun is stricken and therefore does not give off its same amount of light, that is a sign of divine <laughs> displeasure as well. Tanya, Rebimeir Omer, Kozman, Shema'oros Lokin, anytime that the Ma'oros, now I'll say, here's what's interesting, we're going to see this go back and forth a little bit, but Rashi is going to explain a little bit later on, that the fact that it first spoke about the sun and then it spoke about the Ma'oros indicates to us that Shemesh means sun, 
Ma'oros in this context refers to moon and stars. Even though normally when you see Ma'oros, Ma'oros refers to luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars. Here because the Gemara is splitting it up, it must be Shemesh is sun, Ma'oros is moon and stars. Because man Ma'oros lokin, simin ra, son ehem shal Yisrael. Whenever the moon and the stars are stricken, that is a bad sign. Ultimately, I will say, for the enemies of Israel, the enemies of Israel is a is a euphemism for Jews who are sinning. Why? Now, literally, what this means is because Jews suffer a lot. Now, look at Rashi. This is actually quite an amazing Rashi. It's the last, it's the last uh, narrow line of Rashi. So listen to this. Anytime suffering comes, is visited upon the world, Kalal Yisrael has to, has to worry. Right? We have to worry. Velomar, lo ba simin ze ele bishvilenu yoser mishar umos. This is an overwhelming Rashi. Rashi says, whenever we see something terrible happening in the world, Kalal Yisrael has to introspect and say, is this a reflection somehow, some way of our behavior? It's, it's almost as if what's happening in the greater world, the Gemara is saying, is the litmus test, is the spiritual barometer for where Klal Yisrael is holding. Because unfortunately we know suffering is part of our national narrative. So the Gemara is supposed to say, it's, really, it's, it's, it's actually it's an overwhelming Gemara. It's, it's actually a very overwhelming Gemara. That when you see difficult things happening in the world, Klal Yisrael as a nation, as a nation, we have to do a cheshpen ha-nefesh and ask ourselves, is the Ribbono Shal Olam trying to tell us something? Is he trying to convey something to us? Mashal, the sofer shabala beisah sefer. This can be compared, all to, this is actually interesting, Mashal. This can be compared to a sofer, it comes to the beisah sefer, which means a Rebbe. Rebbe comes to the, Rebbe comes to the, uh, to, to, to the yeshiva, to the school. Uritsua biyado, and he's holding his strap. He's holding his strap. Mi doeg, who amongst the students gets worried? The kid who gets hit every day when the Rebbe shows up with the strap, that's the kid who gets nervous, right? The kid who never gets hit, he doesn't, right? I see from the smiles, there are some of us who, who definitely understand this muscle. This is an old school muscle. Old school muscle. So the, the, the idea being, and the nimshal is, unfortunately, we get hit. We've gotten hit so much over the ages. So when the world gets hit, it's important for us to introspect. And I will say, if you think about it, it's really, it's, it's really an incredible, it's, you know, there's, there's a famous Misa like this, famous Misa, that uh, one time Rav Kahanam and Zechatzadik went to fundraise for the Chafetz Chaim in, uh, in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And when he came back, the Chafetz Chaim asked him, Chafetz Chaim asked him, he said, tell me, what's the plight of the blacks in, in Johannesburg? So Rav Kahanam was like a little bit surprised, like, why, why is the Chafetz Chaim, don't you want to ask me how much, how much money I raised? Right? Why, why run with the plight of the blacks in, in Johannesburg? And, and the Chafetz Chaim, again, this is the, the story that I've heard, Chafetz Chaim said, because if the blacks in Johannesburg are suffering, it means that the Jews of Radin need to do more. Which, which is an overwhelming, an overwhelming maisa, that the Chafetz Chaim was saying that when things are broken in the world, we, we have to introspect, which is, if you think about it, like, it's an awesome, it's even overwhelming to think about it because things are always broken in the world, right? There's no, it, 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 see, things are always broken in the world. You, you, you open up the newspaper or you read the news or wherever, wherever you catch your news 
And it's like broken after broken after broken after broken after broken. And it's pretty overwhelming if then we're supposed to introspect and reflect on that. But that's our, that's our destiny. So the Gemara goes right there. Both say when the sun, when the sun is stricken, that is a bad omen for Ovdei Kochavim, for idolaters. Levana Loka, when the moon is stricken, Simen Rolasarem Shal Yisrael. That's a bad sign, ultimately, again, for Jews who are sinning. Why? Why, 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 why is the sun an omen for the Ovdei Kochavim and the moon is an omen for us? For the simple reason that Klal Yisrael, we count time by the, by the moon and the nations of the world use the sun. So, whatever, so again, therefore again, the, the sun reflects what's happening with the Umos Olam. The moon reflects what's happening with us. If ultimately again, the sun is stricken in the east, that's a bad sign for those who live in the east. If it's in the west, what happens if the sun is stricken in the middle of the sky? Ultimately, again, that is a bad omen for the entire world. What happens if you have a, what do they call it? A blood sun, right? Oh, that's a blood moon. Okay, a very red sun. In other words, the sun is just very red. So ultimately, again, that's a sign that war is going to come to the world. The sack, what happens if it resembles a sackcloth? So it just means that, again, the sun doesn't have its normal shine. It's diminished like sackcloth. That means the arrows of famine are going to come to the world. Be it siyaso, mimaheres lavo. I'm sorry. I skipped the line. If it's both, again, if it's both red and resembling the sackcloth, then that is a sign ultimately again that war and famine are going to come to the world. If the sun is stricken while it's setting, that means that any misfortune is going to be delayed. If the sun unfortunately is stricken when it's rising, Ultimately, again, that's a sign that the misfortune is going to come faster. Others say, it's just the opposite. And whenever HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes a particular nation, he punishes their idolatrous gods with them. So this is actually an incredible Gemara. So after you get through this whole thing regarding omens, all different kinds of omens, when we adhere to the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there is no need to be afraid of any of these things. So the Chosh Baruch Hu said, don't learn from the ways of the Goyim and from the signs of the heavens do not fear for the nations of the world fear from these things. The Only the Ovdei Kochavim have to be fearful of these omens. Which I will say in general is an incredible yisod that when a person ultimately is Osir Ritzono Shalmakom, when we have Dveikas, when we are connected to the Ribbono Shalom, we are the Malam in Ateva. We, we literally, again, we are able to go ahead and rise above the natural order of the world. So the Gemara says, when do you have to worry about some of these things? When I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing in life. As an individual and as a Klal, 
But when we are osin ritzono shamakom, when we are following the word, following the will of HaKadosh Baruch, we are the malam in We rise above the natural order of the world and are therefore not at all confined by any of these realities. In general, we'll say, that's how is it that the Jew is able to defy reality as an individual and as a nation? Because we are davak ba'akadosh baruch Hu. When I cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is not bound by any laws of nature, when I cling to Him, I too am able to transcend the natural order of the world as well. Incredible. Ten Rabbanon, Bishvil Arba Dvarim Chamaloka. The sun is stricken because of four things. Whereas what we've just established, that the, the luminescence of the sun is diminished as a sign of divine displeasure. So what, what type of Averis caused this to occur? So the Gemara says, Av Beisdin Shemes, Beinonispat Ka'alacha. When the Av Beisdin, Av Beisdin was like the ranking Torah sage when he died and he was not eulogized appropriately. Now the Marsha, the Marsha, now it's interesting, by the way, before I get to the Marsha, Rashi says over here, Rashi says there, Bishvil Dalad Dvarim. It's five lines up from Rashi in the end of Rashi. Bishvil Dalad Dvarim. Lo shamati tam badavar. Rashi says, I don't know the reason for these things. I don't know the reason. So I'll, I'll read you the list first. The Gemara says, the sun is stricken for because of four things. Av Beisdin, right? Head of the Jewish community was not properly eulogized. Alnara hameurasa shetzaka ba'irve imoshiela about a betrothed girl who was violated by someone else and she called out in the city and no one helped her. Al mishkav zacher. Amishkav Zachar, because of homosexuality. And ultimately, again, two brothers who were killed. Who were killed at the same time. So Rashi says, I don't, I don't know why these things, Dafka, bring about this, the, the diminishing of the power of the sun. The Marsha comments on this, so I'll say. The Marsha comments on this, and the Marsha says, again, I'm not gonna, you'll, you'll look at it on yourself inside, but the Marsha says that perhaps it's like this. The Av Beisdin is considered to be like the luminescent Torah personality of the generation, of the society. If he's not properly eulogized, that means there wasn't enough covet given to him. So you did not give enough covet to the sun, therefore you lose some of the luster of the sun. If you see a young woman being violated and you do nothing about it, so in other words, like the sun, the sun is apparent, you see a wrong being perpetrated against a woman, against a person, and you do nothing about it, it was clear that something terrible was happening, you did not step in, the sun ultimately is stricken. What about Mishkav Zachar? Right? So, you know, this is not our topic, it's actually with, uh, with eight minutes left in the shear. I will say, you know, cloud Gadol in life is, we never stand in judgment of anyone. People have their lifestyle choices, people do what, what they're going to do, and that is between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That ultimately, we never stand in judgment of anyone. And it's our job to make anyone and everyone feel comfortable and feel parts of our community. We all have our, we all have our issues, we all have our struggles, we all live our, with our inconsistencies. What does it mean then when the Gemara says that the sun is stricken because of Mishkav Zachar? There's a difference between accepting people for who they are and a society or a community saying something is inherently acceptable. Those, those, are, those are two different things. Those are two very different things. Accept people for who they are, what they are, what they do, versus saying, this is okay, this is correct. And these are very fine lines and very, very difficult things to try to balance. Perhaps in the Gemara says Mishkav Zahar, the Gemara is talking about over here, not judging individuals, but when a society accepts something just carte blanche 
as being moral or being okay or being acceptable. And so they, they alter the fabric of society. That's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you've changed the light, right? You've, you've changed the dynamic. And again, I will say, these are conversations that are, these are Dvarim HaOmdim Berumo Olam. Because again, as especially, again, not our topic, but especially in the from community, we have not adequately addressed, addressed how to make people feel included in the community with all their variety of lifestyle choices. And this is something that we have to think about. Again, not at 6.39 in the morning, but, but in Mirat Hashem, you know, Saeed, you'll write it down in our topics to address. Yeah, I'm going to let Saeed address this one. I'm going I'm to take them. I'm, I'm away. I'm away that week. And anyway, I will say, so, so again, I, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out, I'm just pointing out that again, the, the Gemara is talking about over here, not acceptance of individuals. All individuals have to be accepted. But there's a difference between accepting individuals versus as a society changing moral fabric. Balance of that, incredibly difficult. The Gemara goes weiter. We got to finish. The Gemara goes weiter. And you know, the notion of two brothers losing their lives at the same time is such a dramatic loss, right? There's something so wrong when that happens that the Shemesh, which is the fixture of Shamayim, ultimately again has diminished as well. There are four things that the luminaries, so again, it's refers to the moon and the stars, are stricken. Those who go ahead and write, write fraudulent documents. So we'll say this is literally fraudulent documents. You go ahead and you write a loan document, the name of someone who never borrowed money. Those who go ahead and testify falsely. Those who raise small farm animals in Eretz Yisrael. We'll say we'll get to this sugya. You're not allowed to raise small farm animals in Eretz Yisrael because they graze wherever they want to, which leads to theft. Those who destroy perfectly good trees. We'll say the common denominator over here are people who engage in either theft or waste. Kaddish Baruch who says, if you're engaging in theft or waste, ultimately, again, the luminaries are impacted as well. So much to say, but no time. Because of four things, right? People's property is handed over to the monarchy. Those who hold on to paid up loan documents. Well, say, so you see, if you hold on to a paid up loan document, that leaves open the possibility to what? To recollect fraudulently. Those who lend with interest, Amid Beis, see, I got this, right? We just have to get to the end of the panic, don't worry. And I will say, this is incredible. This is not referring to, this is not referring to leaders. This is referring to Balabatim, right? So when do Balabatim lose their money? So the Gemara says, if they hold on to paid up documents, if they lend with interest, and if ultimately, again, they saw things that were being done wrong and didn't do something about it, Ultimately, again, they lose their wealth because of that. Or they pledge money in public, but never actually pay their pledges. Never pay their pledges. So the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, another idea. Because of four things, means literally go into, the, into oblivion. Right? So four reasons, another four reasons why Balabatim lose their money. So this is very interesting. So is when you delay paying your employees. Right? Come back, Rashis. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Right? Come back the next day. If you delay paying your employees, you lose your money. Or those, now both say, the difference between Kovshe, Kovshe is, I tell my employee, I'm going to pay you. I just can't pay you today. Just give me the, come back tomorrow. And I keep pushing him off, pushing him off, pushing him off. Oshkei Sar is literally when I just deny payment. I'm not paying you. 
This is incredible. Or those who go ahead and take the yoke of responsibility off their shoulders and place it on others. This is incredible. If, I, if a person's a balabas and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you money, he's giving you money to accomplish things with. And sometimes what happens is a person says, oh, I'm too busy, right? I have this responsibility, that responsibility. You know what? I'm going to shift this onto someone else. No. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you wealth, he gives you wealth to accomplish things. And the more he gives you, the more you have to accomplish. So when a balabas is blessed with wealth, but doesn't use that wealth to accomplish things, we're talking about communally, but instead shifts the yoke of communal responsibility to others, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I'm taking back my wealth. Va'al gasas haruach. And ultimately arrogance. When a balabas has arrogance because he is wealthy, because he is financially successful, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, no, 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 then, then you misunderstood the wealth. Then you think the wealth is you. You think the wealth is your efforts, but the wealth comes from me. The moment there's arrogance because of wealth, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes it back. Ogasas ruach keneged kulam. And I will say the worst, this is incredible, of any of these infractions, worse than denying payment, worse than withholding payment, worse than shirking the yoke of communal responsibility if you have means to help, is arrogance. Is arrogance because the moment a person is arrogant is the moment they think, Look what I've accomplished. When it comes to humility, the Pasuk writes, It says, Ultimately, again, the humble will ultimately inherit the world. So, again, the Gemara telling us that the more a person has, the goal is the more I have in life, the more humble I should become. Because the more I have, the more I recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for me, the more I am indebted to the Ribbana Shalom, and therefore the more humility I possess. Hajun Allah, Hayashen, say Mazel Tov. Tomorrow, we have, it's very exciting. Now, we're going to get into the sugyas of Dalad Minim, of the Kashu Dalad Minim. We're going to learn the Halachas, ultimately, again, of what makes the Dalad Minim Kashu. We're going to start in Mirat Hashem with the parak of Lulav HaGazel. We'll get into Lulav Mirat Hashem, Bishat Hashem, tomorrow. Shkarech HaVosei.